what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And we're at episode 33, and this is the episode that you have all been waiting for, what we've been waiting for, the one we've been kind of hiding in our pocket for a little while. This is Injustice for All. Uh, I'm not trying to be overdramatic here when I say that I've been waiting for this episode my entire life. I've been waiting for it since at least January. (laughs) (laughs) Since, Since the incarnation of this podcast, that was like... I put. I remember. I made notes in my phone, like of, of episode topics and stuff, and that was like one of the first things I typed out because I was super excited about this episode. And when we uh, when we were like first sort of like spawning the idea for this podcast, I remember drunkenly texting you as I was one night late up uh, listening to Injustice that it was my favorite Metallica record. Yeah, this man, is my favorite one, bro. Oh well, dude. I mean, I know that like you know you ultimately decided that Lightning was your favorite and mine was Puppets, but. I mean, it's it's hard for this record not to be a contender as your number one Metallica record. It's a very, very powerful record. So, uh, And we'll get into all that. We, everyone knows kind of how we do have a lot of housekeeping stuff to get to. We're going to talk about the pick contest. This is a big day because as of now, we have reached 100 reviews on iTunes. Oh my gosh. Cue it's the, here. Cue the celebration. Cue uh, Hulkamaniac right now. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I hope that everyone enjoyed the clip of I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac from the last episode. <laughs> I think they did. So I sure enjoyed it, brother. <laughs> so if you don't know what the pick contest, it's this. If you leave us a positive review on iTunes, we were sending you some free Metal Up Your Podcast guitar picks and koozies and stickers. It was sort of a bit of a potluck grab bag situation. But we have now reached our goal, and that contest is motherfucking over. It's over, but the good news is any merch we have is left over, and merch we are going to be ordering in the near future, uh, we're in the process of building like a merch store so that uh, hopefully in the next couple episodes we could give you that website address, and you could go straight to it and order whatever you want. And it'll all be available, and we're going to try to keep it all super affordable. We, we really just want it. The only income we want to generate from that is the enough to enable us to keep doing it. That's it. Yeah, Exactly. 
So here are our winners. You got this group of people makes up our last batch of winners. If you hear your username, send us an email at metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com with pick contest in the subject, your name and address, and we will send you some free stuff. Here are our winners. 410user15, Eden's Wreckage, M. Cleaver, Jules with about 100 Zs, 1021, Matt from NJ, which I wonder where New Jersey. From. Oh, is that Jersey? Okay, cool. That's New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey. Uh, the Bug Fixer 101, The Beaver Man, Metallica J, and Zinuli. They are our last and final pit contest winners. Yes. Congratulations. Con- congratulations. You guys you guys capped it off for us. So send us that email, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com with your name and address, and we will send you that stuff. We're on all the social stuff. Ethan, we're- tell them about the socials. Oh, man, I'm so glad to tell you about the socials. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can search for us at Metal Up Your Podcast. That is the handle on Instagram. Twitter is Metal Up Your Cast. Facebook is facebook.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. And you can always email us the easiest way to get a hold of us, and that is Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com slash metal up your podcast. Speaking of patrons, don't we have some new ones, Clint? We got a shit ton of patrons. You know what? This has been probably the biggest week of the podcast since we started in terms of our listeners, the people who are engaging with us on social media, and our patrons. What Patreon is, is it's a way for you to donate to the show, the aforementioned merch that we talked about that we've been giving away that will henceforth be selling on our website uh, it's all provided and made possible by our patrons. As you can go That's on right. there. We, we have different tiers with different incentives. If you donate a dollar, you get a shout-out on the podcast. If you donate five, you get access to uh, an EP that Ethan and I are making of Metallica covers. And, all, and then as it goes up, there's all sorts of cool shit you can get. So here we got a ton of patrons this week. Here they yeah, all are. And uh, this comes with our sincerest gratitude and thank yous to all of you for becoming a part of our humble little podcast. Uh, Joseph Caps, Minor Aguilar, Josh Montgomery, John Sturm, Dina Lindemann, Daryl Davies, and Pier Paolo Amar, who is Phantom Lord 3 on the forums. We talk on the forums. Pier, a good pa- bit. Pier Paolo is such a cool name. I'm going to rename my daughter that tomorrow. I might rename myself that. Welcome and to I- Up Your Podcast with Pier Paolo and Clint. <laughs> with Pier Paolo and Pier Paolo. <laughs> we'll both be Pier Paolo. Perfect. Uh, I also wanted to say thank you to Sam Ward. Now, Sam wrote to us, and he wanted to bypass the Patreon rigamaroo, which some of you out there might want to also do that. And so he wanted to just—he asked if he could just send us a donation uh, to say thanks to the show. You can do that if you want. Our PayPal address is the same as our email address, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com, if you're so inclined. Uh, I just wanted to make that available. So thank you to all of you who make our the show grow and make it cooler. Seriously, thank you guys so much. It really, it really means the world to us. So we can keep this thing going, uh, whether Clinton are near or far. Uh, yeah, it means the world to us. Thank you guys. And we're gonna do, we're gonna do like uh, Patreon specific merch. We're going to do these like Facebook Live meetups. There's yep. all sorts of cool stuff happening with the patrons that uh, you can get in on. And uh, I guess that's all we can say about that. That's all we can say about that. We're about to burn down, as Clint says, some emails. Yeah, we get we read ten emails a show. We get more. We get about seventy five thousand emails a week. Uh, At least, we, yeah. We, we somehow <laughs> filter those down to ten. If you want to have your thing read on the show, send us that email. We've mentioned the email address like a hundred thousand times so far in this episode. I feel like. Yeah, if you don't know it now, then you you you're, you're, maybe you're just tuning in. But it's yeah, we mention it way too much. Enough, I guess. But. <laughs> well, I want it to stick in that head. I want I want when our listeners go to bed at night, I want the last thing they think of to be our email address. And I want the first thing they think of in the morning to be, God, I need to email them now. 
Yeah, and I want pretty much all their thoughts in between those to be us and our email address and our podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's in a very non-selfish way, that's all we want. <laughs> so I'll start us off. So our first email is from our friend Alex Finney, who says, Hello, Ethan. Hello, Clint. On Thursday... Hello, o- <laughs> hello Alex. <laughs> hello, Alex. <laughs> oh, hello. He says, On Thursday, August 25th, 1988, I was having my lunch with the owner of Rock of Ages Records in Peckin, Illinois, which we know where that really, we know where the, the, technically the state lines fall from New right. Jersey into that. He says of he had been suggesting Metallica to me for a while, and on this fateful day, he handed me an Injustice for All CD and said, bring the CD back or give me the money for it on Monday. Long story short, I came in Monday, paid for Justice, and bought Kill em All, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and Garage Days. I've never wavered. Metallica have been my favorite band since. That's why Injustice for All is my favorite record. Well, he's going to be in for quite the treat today. He really is. He says, John, the owner of Rock of Ages and himself, saw the Damage Justice Tour in 1989, and he says, do I really need an adjective? <laughs> Man, that, that's such a cool story. I mean, that's like similar, like when I got into Justice, I, you know, and I went to the record store, I got Master Puppets, and then, like a lot of fans out there, I couldn't wait to just get everything else. Yeah. Well, and how many of us are indebted to that one? For him, it was this record store guy. For some of you, it was your older brother or sister. For some of you, it was your yeah. parents who just one day were just happily walking down the road listening to the wrestling boot band. And then you hear <laughs> a record or a song that completely changes your, your fucking life. Exactly. So cool, like when, man. When, when, like when I first heard I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac, I had to get more Hulk Hogan records. <laughs> Too bad he only made the one. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> what? He's got more? I, I've, I've recently found this out, that uh, that he has other, like, there's, like, vinyl out there, too. I have to get Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Moot Band, their album Hulk Rules, on vinyl. Wow. If you someone out like, there owns it and wants to donate it, I would love that. You are, like, the lone Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band archivist. I would, <laughs> like, I would call myself an archivist. I, ha- oh, no, I do have a no, friend. No. I do have a friend named Logan, who's also another podcaster. Who um, he's a huge wrestling fan, and he, I, I guarantee he's got all this stuff probably on vinyl, at least well, on CD. But I, I see you in a Lord of the Rings style uh, backdrop, and you're looking over the horizon towards Mordor, and you are on the quest to catalog the quest. and archive all things Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band. <laughs> I mean, Hulk Rules is kind of his best thing. I mean, why would they? Why else would they call it Hulk Rules? I mean, he's a, you're a big collector of the bootlegs too. I understand, right? You have all the yeah. li- all the live performances, <laughs> the boot the, the bootlegs of the wrestling boot band. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're doing emails. We should continue that. Okay, thanks, Alex. <laughs> thanks for and he, the thing is, like, people share their kind of that's kind of his origin story of how he got in the band. We love reading stuff like that. So, oh yeah, thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Our next email is from Joseph Caps, who's written in before. I just want to drop a quick note to say thanks for not only all the great episodes, but also taking the time to read and respond to fan emails. I know it's oddly gratifying not only to get a response, but also to hear you guys read and discuss them on the show. Um, For some reason and a few others, I decided today to get on Patreon and support the podcast. Thank you so much, Joseph. Uh, It's been a great ride so far. I'm looking forward to the upcoming episodes. Uh, thanks, Joe. That's awesome. That's always encouraging to hear that uh, you, you're enjoying this and you want more, and we're going to give you more. And thank you so much for the Patreon donation. Yeah, I mean, we try to be a fan-friendly podcast because uh, we're fans, first of all. And number two, we literally couldn't do it without people who want to take the time to listen. So yep, <laughs> very much appreciate that. Our friend Brad Blazik writes, Hello, dudes. The addition of Paul to the show seems to bring an extra bit of silliness to you guys, and that's not a bad thing. Do you think that's true? Does Paul bring out the 
funny bone? Does he tickle the old funny bone? I think I think us? he does. I think yeah. he. I, I mean, I think we're we're already. You know, our funny bones are being tickled by each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, hang on a second. Um, Different podcasts. But, uh, but I think, uh, yeah, I definitely think Paul is a, is a, a good little addition. He's kind of like our Andy Richter, you know? Yeah, he's, he's got a good flavor that I think he brings to the table, for sure. He says, uh, I'm like you guys in that even if I don't like a certain band's music, I still respect them but as music, I still respect them as musicians. But M. Shadows being a crybaby about the shortened set was ridiculous. I loved Clint's venom being unleashed on him, especially calling him a quote-unquote butthead. I laughed so hard at that. We don't hear Butthead enough these days. Remind me of Biff and Back to the Future, my favorite movie. I'm definitely going to start using it again. Which reminded me of our big Back to the Future talk on the way up to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the man who plays Biff Tannen, Tom Wilson, is actually a buddy of mine. Ethan Luck knows everybody on the planet except the members of Metallica. Except Metallica. Well, I'm just, uh, it's, it's like uh, trying to shorten the degrees of separation to Metallica so that. You know, maybe Tom Wilson knows somebody who knows somebody who knows. I was James about to say, what if, like what if, what if our final, our final contact to get us in the Metallica camp is Biff Tannen from Back to the Future? <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, James and I grew up together. Let me, let Holy me text shit. him real quick. <laughs> uh, I've got a DeLorean in my garage. <laughs> I'll fly us there. You, you guys want to go back to 1988 and see what it was like to make Injustice for All? I can take you there. Oh, well, let's do it, Biff. Uh, he says, uh, Brad goes on to say, I really like the backstage talk, the propane tanks, and that kind of stuff. When I was younger, I always thought it'd be cool to be a stagehand, especially on the lighting crew, so I'm really interested in all that behind-the-scenes stuff. Well, good luck to you, Brad. Our friend Matt, who's on the pyro crew, is going to be on the show, I believe, in September or October. Yeah, I think September, we we were chatting at the show, and we're all going to kind of be in town, and we have a small little window I think we'll be able to, to fit him in before uh, he heads to Europe with Metallica. Yeah, it's going to be cool, he, and he's going to be able to t- tell us and you all all about how that shit works. He's very, oh, yeah. like, very open and forthcoming about all that. Very cool. He says, it's really interesting listening to the three show review episodes, even with the set list being 90% the same, each show had its own uniqueness. Hopefully I slash we can hit more than one if they do an arena tour next year. I'm also excited about the upcoming interview with Michael Wagner, but I'm really excited about the Justice episode. Well, Cheers. get more excited because you're listening to it right now. <laughs> Try not to poop in your pants, Brad. Dude, a little little side note about Brad. Uh, last week, uh, we were both at the <clears throat> New Found Glory show in Nashville because those guys are buddies of mine. And we were we were kind of hanging out in the bar area of, of the basement east over by where we live in East Nashville. And uh, I saw a dude in Metallica shirt and I looked at my wife and I was like, see, that's why we need business cards. I could go give one to that guy. And I was like, because it literally, like, the I think day before maybe, or maybe it was that day when you and I and Paul were eating at Mitchell Deli, mm-hmm. I went up to a dude in Metallica shirt and told him about our podcast. Hey, man. Hey, you like Metallica? Hey, man. You like Metallica? I get the vegan sandwich here. <laughs> I see that you're, pre- you're trying to preemptively go to Vegan Ethan before I can. I know. I'm kind of ashamed that I did that it's to not, myself. It's not going to work. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I, I uh, see. Excuse I, me, uh, <laughs> I was looking for a sandwich that doesn't have meat on it. <laughs> hey, bro, lay off, Ethan. <laughs> so you sort of, so you saw Brad and you said, "Hey, I like your shirt." Yeah, and so, he was like, well, "Okay, well, so um, I, I saw that he had a Justice for All shirt on." Speaking of this episode, hmm. and uh, and I was actually walking to the bathroom, and he stopped me. He was like, "Hey, man, you Ethan?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm Brad," and I was like, "Holy shit, we have a mutual friend. His name's Clint." <laughs> um, 
I can't remember but if no, it was we, you. I can't remember if it was you or Brad, but one of you texted me a picture of you guys. I was like, "What the fuck? That's crazy." Yeah, that was me. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we uh, we invited Brad over to hang with us, and and we ended up chilling out for like a good hour plus, and uh, enjoyed the show and all that stuff. And yeah, it was really good to uh, kind of you know connect another uh, another email to a face. There we go, man. That's cool, dude. Well, thanks yeah, for man. the email, Brad. I'm sure we're going to be seeing Brad in, in our bright, happy Metal Up Your Podcast future. Oh, yeah. Brad has also offered to give me and my wife a grand tour of Paris, Tennessee. Well, there you go. There you go. We're going to take them up on it. Yeah, they have, a, they have an Eiffel Tower. It's not, that's not a joke. Um, all right. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> it's true. Oh, you're up, right? Yeah, I'm up. All right. Uh, next email is from Danny Taylor. Dudes, love the new cast and intro on the Detroit recap episode. I would love to hear a Hulk interview people who come up to the table and then try to push his swag to the fans on the podcast. <laughs> hey, brother, get by this headband from me. <laughs> what, a confusing, what a confusing premise. Well, we're all Metallica podcast, but we have Hulk Hogan here selling his headbands. Yeah, selling his merch. But guess what? Ethan already bought all of it. <laughs> As the grand... Uh, Mordor archivist of all the wrestling boot band you had to yeah totally okay so the next part of his email is in quotes and I assume uh, he wants me to read this in, in Hulk voice so without further without further ado <laughs> see if I can do this without laughing the whole time it's hard to not laugh when the word brother is printed right in front of me <laughs> uh, the bro- I like the brothers capitalized too oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> I'm trying. Church giggles. So, brother, you don't see anything you like here? Do you know that I was going to play bass for Metallica, brother? I had that brother, by the way. Have you ever checked out my work in the studio? He says that that type of vibe. <laughs> or how you keep finding a copy of his CD somewhere at the table. Just a dumb idea. I like that idea, Danny. I'm cool oh. with the Hulkster uh, selling merch with us. He's just he always like slips in his CD like with our shit. Like we're like, yeah. damn it, the Hulk strikes again. Dang it! What's that orange and yellow? Or I'm sorry, red and yellow over there. Oh, that CD's for sale, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, uh, "You guys and Paul make Mondays rocks uh, so much so that I ha- I've turned my my back to the house just to connect Wi-Fi so I could download the show before I hit my 40 minute hour to work twice." Okay. Uh, so he's saying he's like driven back to his house. Yeah, like he like he's he's tur- like turned back to the house. Like, oh shit, I got to finish downloading the episode. Just so he can listen to it on the way to work, which is that's so cool. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Danny. brother. <laughs> uh, BK Warner, who is our friend Betsy, who we met at the Detroit show. Yeah, Betsy was the one who bought her husband the ticket, and he didn't know. Yeah, that she was writes, a great Clint, story. Clint, Ethan, and Paul. I'm finally sitting down to listen to episode 32, of the Detroit recap. Thanks for keeping the Detroit experience alive. You're helping to keep the post-concert depression away. It's funny to listen to you guys talking about being cool at the concert with your passes when you really are totally cool. No acting necessary. Man, we're, we're cool. <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, it's like the scene in Wayne's World when they go to meet Alice Cooper and they're holding up their passes. Like, hey, he goes, hey, Alice, are we cool? Are we cool? <laughs> <laughs> she goes on to say, I totally agree with your sentiments on M Shadows. Idiot. Yeah, a lot of people. See, here's the deal, man. People do not like ungrateful rock stars. They don't fucking like it. Agreed. And and you show your ass on that microphone, and a lot of people are going to be bummed about it. All right. She says, I just want to say thanks for the entertaining podcast. I'm usually not a listener of podcasts, but you've changed that. You're fun to listen to, easy to talk to, and totally rad. I've listened enough to get the inside jokes and references to previous podcasts. And thanks for the free stuff, too. Your stickers on my car, the koozies on my beers, and I'm spreading the word. Betsy. P.S. Ah, cool. The next time you end up off the, off the freeway... Uh, in Ohio, I'll be happy to show you around and buy y'all a beer and give you some real ma- maple syrup. Ah, that's right. She yeah, she has the uh, maple syrup trees on her farm. Pretty cool. 
Very cool. Well, all right. Thanks, Betsy. That's thanks, a, Betsy. Uh, I love that the stickers on the back of your car. Super yeah. cool. I put one on my Not car too. Is there one on your car? Uh, no. I mean, I've left for tour. I haven't put one on there yet. So, but don't worry. It'll be the first sticker on my on my Forerunner. All right. Cool. Um, next email is from Teddy Robinson. Hey guys, greetings from Pikeville, Kentucky, New Jersey. Uh, he goes on to say, definitely not New Jersey, and I thank the good Lord. Well, guess what? Um, it's in New yeah, Jersey. I just talked to the Lord, and we both agreed it's still New Jersey. And you know what? I was just in Newark, New Jersey the other day. I landed there. I was at a hotel overlooking gorgeous Newark, and I, a little further than Newark, I could see Pikeville. So oh, it's New how about Jersey. That? Definitely yeah, New Jersey. So weird. Interesting, Teddy. Um, <laughs> got turned on your podcast by typing Bob Rock into the search bar on the podcast app. Uh, I have a long drive. Um, home from work and was trying to find the uh, the interview with Bob did with Eddie Trunk. How awesome that it was that God, I can't even talk right now. Jeez, um, must be all that not drinking. Um, <laughs> uh, how awesome was it that I find Bob Rock being interviewed on a Metallica podcast, or so I thought. Instead of Bob, I get Torben Ulrich and Hulk Hogan in the wrestling boot band. That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, you did. Um, I nearly wrecked my truck laughing. I also gained a newfound respect for Bob. For years, I blamed Bob for watering down. Um, the band's sound. Been a fan since the Justice era. I loved the Black Album, but I must admit, uh, with the exception of F- Fuel and... What does he type here? I think it's a typo. He says the band kind of lost kind me. Of? Oh, the kind of. Okay. band kind of lost me on Load and Reload. Uh, the point you guys made about Bob loving the band and doing everything he could to hold them together made me appreciate him so much more. The fact that Bob sat in with the band and Phil in their therapy session speaks volumes to his commitment to Metallica. Could you guys see Rick Rubin sitting down for a therapy session? Definitely not. Rick Rubin might be the therapist hovering, you know, six <laughs> feet above the ground for them. Rick Rubin's um, like the Rick Rubin's like the Maharishi who takes all your money and then doesn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's like a Joel Osteen or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh, ugh. Yuck. Um, ewy. Uh, <laughs> uh, he goes on to say about Rick Rubin being the therapist. No way. Anyways, been listening to the pod, uh, been listening to the rest of the podcast, and I love them. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks, Heath Robinson. Um, did I? He, he, he comes on as Teddy Robinson. Maybe he goes by Heath. I don't know. Yeah, he signed it differently than it came on. But you got to read his yeah. PS. I'm about to read his postscript. This email is completely vegan. Here we go. Uh, no, no animals were hard to debate in the writing of this email. <laughs> Well, thank you, Teddy Heath Robinson. Thanks, Teddy Heath. <laughs> Thanks, guy with two first names. Zaltus. 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 Right. Hey, guys. Awesome podcast as usual. Looks like you got some free advertising that you can't buy. Oh, he's talking about when Kindlin was on the big screen with our logo. Logo. Yeah, no big deal. In front of, like, what, 50,000 people? Priceless. What are the chances? Yeah, no big deal. What are the chances they pick someone from the audience that you gave a sticker to and she put it on her battle jacket? Then to have the camera zoom in on it, that is so cool. Uh, I agree. That was a crazy moment. Uh, You should have seen the ferocious high fives that were being given between the three of us. (laughs) Only high fives that cool dudes could give. Of course. Cool high fives. He says, I do have one gripe about the Metallica set list, though, and you guys reminded me I was not crazy about Rob playing Anesthesia. I get that it's a tribute to Cliff, and he did an excellent job. I did enjoy it, but would rather have heard something original from Rob. I don't think Jason ever played it live on tour. Correct me if I'm wrong. At least I never heard him do it. Cliff was always my favorite Metallica bass player, then Jason, then Rob. And it was because of Cliff and also Steve Harris of Iron Maiden that I started playing bass. Very cool. He goes on to say, have you guys ever thought about doing an episode on Cliff Amal? I remember buying the VHS tape when it came out. I watched it so many times I wore it out. Now I have it on DVD, and it's on as I'm typing this. I love uh, the way this made, let's see. I love that it was made from all the raw bootleg footage. Brings back a lot of memories from me of the late 80s. 
Uh, Man, that's cool. We're definitely love- doing a Cliff Amal uh, episode, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I remember watching Cliff Amal for the first time when I was younger, like a friend had the VHS, and I was like... It, I thought it was so cool because it was like actual behind the scenes stuff that they filmed themselves and their crew filmed or whatever. Uh, just really cool stuff. Mom, I'm, I'm watching Cliff of All, Bob. Stop. I, I'm not ready for my meatless dinner. <laughs> Did you eat meat when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's the funny, that's you a funny thing it, about like. You say it like you I st- should have known that. Yeah, of well, course. You sh- well, you, you should have. Well, here's the funny thing, and if anyone out there listening is vegetarian, vegan, whatever, um, you've probably gotten this a lot where people are like always so surprised, and they're like, don't you want to know what this tastes like? And it's like, okay, well, if you were raised vegan or vegetarian, that's one thing. But for me, it was like seven or eight years ago, I just decided to stop eating Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, like, it's funny. I have a lot of people give me shit on tour, like other crew guys are like, you know, they'll be eating a steak or whatever, and they're like, dude... It's so good. You should try it. I'm like, I've eaten steak probably a thousand times in my life. I know what it tastes like. I've eaten steak more times than Metallica's played Dyer's Eve live, okay? So don't worry about it. Exactly. Uh, Zalta sends his email by saying, by the way, I caught Clint on the Alpha Metallica episode, Noise. Noise. For those of you who don't know, I was on our friend Tom Quee's Metallica podcast, Alpha Metallica. We yep. uh, argued about whether or not Better Than You is any good. Uh, I don't think either of us were convincing to each other, but he's definitely on the, I would say the more popular side of that argument. Yeah, most likely he is. Uh, but you know, and, but, and speaking of this episode about justice, uh, the next, uh, episode that Tom is putting out is with me talking about blackened. So you guys look for that. Uh, it should be out the same week. It should be out this exact day today. It should be out today for you guys. Yeah. So head on over there after you listen to this. After you listen to this and you go to Patreon and give us all the money and give us more reviews, then go listen to that podcast. I agree. All right. Thanks, Zaltus. (laughs) Thank you. Next email is from Joe B. Uh, I had to cover my face with my hand because I was slack-jawed in the middle of the street when the Hulk Hogan clip came out of nowhere. It was so unbelievable and delightful sounding that I was close to accusing you guys of trolling us all, trolling us all by uh, writing and recording the segment yourselves and just saying it was from the record. Um, God, I wish we could have done that. I was about to say, I fucking wish I helped write Hulkamaniac. If, if I wrote that chorus, I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Hulkamaniac. Hang out with my family and friends. I wish I could have done that, Joe. Me too. That's Uh, poetry. It is. Uh, Great show as always, guys. Can't wait uh, to to make a future meetup and uh, and add and plus one to Paul coming back for later episodes. The people have spoken. The people have spoken. Paul Moak, are you listening right now while you're walking your dog? (laughs) You know he is. You know he is. Paul, I'm scared. Where are you, Paul? Paul! (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a hotel room in Denton, Texas, just screaming for Paul Moak. Paul! <laughs> I wonder. I really wonder what people that are in, I'm also in a hotel room in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, right now, and I wonder what people are thinking across the hall from me when they hear "Hey, brother." Well, they can. I was thinking about it too because I'm talking kind of loud. Like they can definitely hear us doing this, and they definitely oh, probably sure. think we're weirdos. Pa! <laughs> <laughs> Our next email. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. <laughs> Say your prayers, little one. Don't forget my son, son brother. There, there's like a family across from me, and they're and the kids probably like, um, Dad, Hulk Hogan is for Dad, sure in that hotel. Daddy, room. it's Hulk. It's the Hulk. Can we go say? Can we go say hi? And then you just open the door. This is Ethan. Hi. I'm like, hey man. Hey, what's, what's up? up, dude? Hey, our, brother. Our, oh, hi, brother. Hi, bro. <laughs> uh, 
I'll share this. It looks like an egg, but uh, I don't need eggs. But anyway. Our next email is from Fred Datama. He says, I loved the episode you guys did road tripping to the Detroit show. I love hearing Paul's perspective. More Paul. Good grief. Jeez. You guys ever heard never, of a guy? Never having him on again. You ever heard of a guy named Ethan? Ever heard of a guy named Clint? Hey, remember us? Good grief. I love hearing, which I'm obviously kidding, by the way. I love hearing Paul's perspective from behind the scenes on how records are made. It's something that you don't get to hear about too often. Once again, I caught myself laughing out loud at work listening to your show on my headphones. I'm pretty sure that my coworkers probably think that I'm a little unhinged now. They probably do, but for unrelated reasons, Fred. Yeah. By the way, the Toronto show blew me away. So fucking awesome to hear them play Blackened and Anesthesia. It was my daughter's first Metallica show, and she was beyond amazed. Keep up the cool. great work, and I can't wait to hear your episode on the Detroit show and what Paul thought of his first Metallica show. Cheers. That's cool, well, Fred, man. Fred's cool probably to... heard that episode by now, I think. Yep. Well, hopefully. And uh, Hopefully. He sent a, in the email, he also included a picture of him with his daughter at her uh, first Metallica show. Very yeah. cool to be able to share that with your uh, with your offspring. Oh, yeah, and, we, and as we talked about in the Detroit episodes, and as you heard, a lot of families at the Metallica show, a lot of parents bringing their kids for the first time, super cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, our last and final email, which I don't know why I said last and final, that pretty much means the same thing. Um, our last and final and concluded email. <laughs> <laughs> this comes from Christopher Yurgis, and uh, this is a really cool email uh, about Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. Uh, I'll just read it to you guys, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss it for a second. Uh, we've lost another giant in the metal world, and I'm in complete disbelief. There are questions that will never be answered, uh, a grief that can't be explained, and a sadness that will carry a lifetime. Lincoln Park and Chester were maybe one of the last great innovators of a, of a new subgenre in metal, and personally, my journey in heavy music, while started with Metallica, has always had Lincoln Park in it. I was able to meet Lincoln Park in, uh, in only a month's time, fulfilling another dream of mine to meet the artists that have enriched my life so much, second only to Metallica. Uh, this now, excuse me, uh, this is now lost in all that remains of the life memories, and uh, and are tied listening to their music. Um, from late nights working on my race car in high school to long study sessions in college, even to more recently buying my first guitar. Well, Christopher, first of all, thanks for the email, and yeah, obviously, I'm sure everyone listening did hear about Chester from Lincoln Park um, committing suicide. It's a bummer. <clears throat> it's a bummer, man. I don't, I, you know, I, I dipped into those records a little bit here and there. I was never a very big fan, but anytime, well, anytime anyone decides to leave that way, it's a bummer. But I feel a, a an obvious kinship to fellow artists who, yeah, who uh, who live the kind of life that we live, and I can sort of understand some of the darkness that they might deal with and their travels and with everything that comes with doing the kind of jobs we do, but. Yeah, Man, I feel I feel for these people. I, I don't want to see them go. You know, it I know. Me out. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and, and it was you know, I thought it was pretty crazy that I mean, he, this happened on Chris Cornell's birthday. Right. They were they were really close. Chester sang at his funeral. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. I mean, like he like Christopher says, and you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And you know what? Sometimes you know, for people like us that weren't friends with him or, or family or anything, I, I you know, I don't find it really necessary to seek out those answers. Um. You know, I like we did on the Chris Cornell episode. You know, it's like you know, if you're a fan of this person, if a fan of their music, you know, they're gone, but they left us with a lot of good stuff. And let's you know, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate the life they lived. And you know, and hopefully, you know, things like this make other people that maybe deal with similar stuff with depression and stuff. It, maybe it, it, it creates an awareness. It, it creates some encouragement to somebody to seek help or something like that. You know, um, 
I hate that people go out that way, you know, but I can't, I can't fully understand it, you know. I agree. Well, <clears throat> love and respect to all of you out there who were big fans of that band and are kind of dealing with that loss the way we maybe dealt with the Chris Cornell one. You're yeah. not alone, and you know, there's all sorts of strange people like us who will come on a podcast and talk about Hulk Hogan and Metallica. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I guess that's all we can say about that. Uh, rest in peace, Chester. Yeah, rest in peace, Chester. Thank you for all the music you left us. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, so we are here now at the facts portion of the show. If some people may not like the facts portion, <clears throat> I like it because maybe you're going to learn something new. I know I learned a lot of new things putting it together. So we're going to burn totally. down some facts. You ready to burn down some facts? I'm ready to burn down some facts. And for some reason, I just closed it out on accident. So I'm going to go ahead and reopen that. <laughs> All right. That, Keeping I think it that, organized I think, here in Boston. I think that means you're not ready for the facts. Um, in direct. I am ready for copy paste. There we go. Ready for the facts. All right, cool. <laughs> And Justice for All was recorded January 28th through May 1st of 1998 at One-on-One Studios in L.A. It was their first time at One-on-One, which is where they went on to do the Mighty Black album. Yep. Uh, they re- We talked about this a little bit when we talked about on the Fleming episode. Uh, they originally had Mike Klink because... Yeah, they, they, they did some work for a few weeks with him. I think it was a few months because they started... Well, yeah, you know, you're right, a few weeks because Fleming came in on February 14th on Valentine's Day. And yeah. they start on January 20th. So, right. So Mike came in. They n- No parties involved have really given a lot of details about what didn't work out, but it was not working out. And yeah. so, if, as you all know, Fleming did uh, Ride the Lightning and Puppets, and I think they were wanting maybe something a little different. And Lars was kind of like obsessed with Guns N' Roses at the time. So they got the dude who made Appetite for Destruction. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I you know one ha- you know one has to wonder what it could have sounded like with Mike Klink's production, yeah. especially that kind of appetite, raw, but m- much less dry sound that he had. And they they supposedly they weren't digging it. And Fleming has gone on record saying he's listened to Mike's mixes on the airplane ride uh, to L.A. and and he wasn't feeling it either. But okay, yeah. But Mike does still have uh, engineering credits. Which an engineer, when they, you make a record, an engineer is the person who uh, sets up microphones and runs lines and yeah, tweaks all the knobs, hits a, record, all that stuff. An engineer is a very, very important, uh, a good engineer, I should say, is a very important part of why a record sounds the way it does. Absolutely. Um, so he still is credited for the engineering of the drums on Shortest Straw and Harvester of Sorrow, yep. which sound great, yep. by the way. Yeah, they do. Uh, while so, I guess they already knew in that first week or so that they were going to fire Mike. And while they were waiting for Fleming to clear his schedule to come over, they recorded just for fun. They recorded Bread Fan and the Prince, which then, as we all know, went on to be B sides for Harvester of Sorrow, Eye of the Beholder, and One, and would then also yeah. later end up on Garage Inc. Which are great, great B sides. I remember hearing those like years and years ago, like. Probably around the Black Album era, like when I started buying like Casingles. Remember those? Oh yeah, Casingles. Started buying Casingles, and I remember getting those B sides. Like, holy shit, what are these songs? These are amazing. Bread fan of the Prince. When we did our favorite top uh, top ten songs, however long, whatever we were doing back then, I don't remember top ten deep cuts or some <laughs> shit. Uh, the Bread fan of the Prince came up several times with people. These are some of Metallica fans' favorite songs that they do. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, it, I'm sure we'll do this in the future, if we did like a top 10 B-sides or something, right. these both of these would be pushing the top. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, one, 
one I refer to Injustice for All as one. Well, I refer to it as one the way that guy did in Detroit. What's your favorite Metallica record? One. One. I was going to say, Justice for... (laughs) Noise. (laughs) Justice is kind of when they really start getting on the uh, critically acclaimed map. And because of, like, on the strength of the song One, it was the first time they were nominated for a Grammy, even though we all know they lost. It peaked at number six on the Billboard 200. Uh, It's generally considered to be the first underground metal album to achieve that kind of chart success. It is crazy that this is where they got like that that notoriety to get on the charts and to, you know, have that more global notoriety and, and attention on a record that I mean that doesn't I, have bass pro- guitar. It's, it's there's that, <laughs> yeah. But it's also like I feel like it's thrashier than puppets. I don't know. It's it's I mean, we'll get into this on the track by track, but it, yeah. it, it it's it's cleaner and it's proggier, you know. And yeah, that's true. I mean, there there are a lot of tempo changes. There's like, uh, you know, odd time signature stuff in there. They, they would cram a bunch of riffs into one song. Would all that stuff to make them extra long. But even, I don't know. It's just it, it blows my mind that, that, that this was the record. I mean, I'm thankful for it because it, it it was only another step into the into the huge you know monstrosity they became well and i think one i i think one like inner sandman i think this a uh, much of the strength of that success was on that one song yeah you know like i, I think if fade to black had come out post puppets it would have been that because it's it's you know i think they i don't think they had enough steam for fade to black to really do what one did but it's almost like they were primed yeah. to finally have a, a song for mtv and all that stuff i mean it went on to sell as of 2003, it sold 8 million records. Oh, that's, yeah. I just mean, it, a couple, just a couple. Yeah, it's a few here and there, <laughs> mostly in Europe. <laughs> yeah, mostly, mostly in New Jersey. Uh, one of Fleming's first things that he had to do when he got in, going back to sort of the sound that they were doing with Mike Klink, they weren't happy with, is they had him sort of tweak guitars. And uh, I believe this might have been the first record that they used a straight up click track for the drums. I mean, I'm not surprised with a lot of the, a lot of the, the parts on this thing and as as somebody who plays drums I, I mean i would if i was recording these drum tracks which i still can't do some of these i would prefer much prefer having a click track there just for just for that accountability of you know getting everything in time but there's also like tempo change stuff in there like you know they're going to like the bridge of black and for instance like it slows down right so they probably had to print like this is all to tape back then everybody two inch tape you know they're not using pro tools uh, or garage band um so a lot of times you had to print that click track, you know, and a click track is essentially like a metronome, just click, 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 click. How's that? Um, I can actually bring up a click track on my logic right now. This is what a click sounds like. You hear that? Yeah. That's a click track. I like my click, click, click a little better. <laughs> your but cluck, yours cluck, 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 yours is, cluck. Yours is adorable. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's not surprising that Lars used a click track on this. Well, the part, I mean, I think, I think a distinguishing hallmark of the record is kind of how surgical and precise it is and Mm -hmm. the quickest way to achieve that. And, and to another benefit of a click track is it sort of grids out a song. So if, if you, if you between bars 84 and 110 have a bridge or a solo, you can overdub onto that based on the grid that the click sets for you. Right. Exactly. So when you're dealing with these songs that are so tight that they definitely didn't do in one take, it took them like three months to do the drums. Like you know what I mean? They they spent a <laughs> yeah. long time on drums. You can you can more easily edit 
And speaking of the tape that you mentioned, they used three reels of tape, one entire reel just for the drums. One for bass well, and there guitars. there's so many tracks, right. too. There's so many drums. I mean, you can look up old photos. There's, there's not a ton from the Justice Sessions. Somebody has to have them. But um, there was one photo I found online before of Lars's setup for Justice at, at one-on-one studios. And there's so many fucking cymbals and drums, like an obscene amount. Like, you know who has like all that stuff? Is they're in a vault in Torben's basement, for sure. For sure they are. I, you know who probably, I wouldn't be surprised if he, was, if he wasn't there, is Ross Halfen, the photographer. Right. That oh, guy's yeah, shot true. Metallica more than anybody. Actually, you know what? I occasionally see him at Kings of Leon shows, like at festivals, shooting the band. And I've, I've talked to him a few times. Next time he's there, I'm going to ask him. Again, Ethan Luck knows everybody. Um, oh, me and Rossi? <laughs> me and Ross Ross? <laughs> <laughs> Ross Ross was the only nickname I could think of. Ross Ross? That's Ross cute. Ross. Uh, a lot of the lyrics were written during the recording sessions, which I think was not a very typical method for James at the time. No, if, you, if you've ever listened to the Injustice for All demos, there's a lot of him just like kind of mumbling. Like the melodies are kind of there, but he's kind of mumbling through lyrics because he didn't have them yet. But what's interesting about that is that's kind of how they've, that's how they've done a lot of their records, especially Death Magnetic and Hardwired. The songs are written and even recorded before he sings. His singing is like the last thing. Yeah, and as we all know, like they did a lot of lyric writing on Saint Anger. Oh Lord! <laughs> yeah, they did. It's my world. It's my world. <laughs> you flush it out. Oh Lord. Uh, okay. Um, so Jason. So now we have to talk. I guess we have to talk about the controversy over the bass and the, yeah. the perceived lack of bass. I've talked to some fans that say, "I don't get it, man. I hear the bass." To which I can only think, "You don't know what bass sounds like." <laughs> I mean, now, no, there is, no offense, but it, it's pretty much inaudible, right? Wouldn't you not agree? It's, it, very true, very true. And, you know, maybe somebody uh, might mistake the low end of the guitar. That's what I the think. Low fre- yeah, the low frequencies coming through, because the guitars are low end and heavy and stuff like that, but um, there's definitely not bass there. I actually, last week, my wife went to bed early, and I was kind of bored in my garage in studio, and, uh, I'm sorry, Metal Up Your Podcast HQ. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> HQ1. Sorry, man. H- H- HQ1. And, um, and I just plugged in a bass into my, uh, my, into my recording rig, and I pulled up Justice, and I started playing along with it. And I was like, God, this sounds so cool with bass. But do you know what's really strange about this whole fucking saga is that Jason has kind of proliferated the idea because he has said he said a lot of things about it. The cool thing about Jason is he's loyal, and he's yeah. even since he's left Metallica, he's always kind of defended them and been cool about them. And when this comes up, he said in recent interviews, like, hey, man, that's the way that record sounds. I think it sounds the way... He said that a fan came up to him and gave him one of those Injustice for Jason recordings and yeah. said, this is the way it should have sounds. And, you know, his his response was like, I think the way it is is the way it should have sounded. And he says... Uh, he's, he said that it's... But you can't hear it because the bass parts were so similar to the guitar parts and that right. they were fighting for frequencies. But he says that as if no record has ever been made ever in which the bass is playing something similar to the fucking guitars. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. What, what, how many right. options are there? The, the bass is playing similar things to the guitars. It has to. Yeah, it so has to. And you know what? You can hear it elsewhere on other records. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's the, a lot of times, especially in metal, where things are really precise. I mean, that's the bass player's job is just to fill in that low-end area with the exact same thing that the rhythm is doing. Right. 
That's yeah, exactly. That's part. That's what it's supposed to do. It doesn't make it, it. That does not explain why you can't hear it. And so it's interesting. So I think some fans have seen him say that and think, oh, it's there. It's just there's fighting with the frequency response. And but that I, you know, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. The uh, the dude who mixed it's name is Steve Thompson, and he claims that it was due to Hetfield and Ulrich being in the room. Of course, Hetfield is saying turn up the guitars. Ulrich saying turn up the drums. And he said it was so bad that he wanted to quit, and they, but they wouldn't let him quit. I mean, I, I mean, I can't blame him. He probably did want to. I mean, why would you? Wouldn't you not want to quit? I mean, you, you've got the two heads of this band like battling for their instrument being the loudest. What's Jason going to do? He can't do anything, and so he's probably sitting there going, "God, you guys, there's no bass left on this record." Well, and and, th- and this is actually even more proof too is, is that the mixing engineer who knows how to mix a fucking record is saying, this is so bizarre, bizarrely lacking in low end that I don't even want my name attached to it, even if it's a Metallica record. I know, that's crazy. Now, the the conspiracy theory that they did it as a part of a hazing process for Jason, I do not believe that. You don't believe that one? I don't think they intentionally sabotaged their record. I think that they, I think that, you know what? I think James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich didn't know how to mix a record and were basically mixing the record. They were like producing the mixer kind of thing. Exactly, and and, so, and and here's the thing too with with them hazing Jason so much to pull his bass out of the mix. Don't you think that if they really wanted to do that, they would have done it on a little EP called Garage Days that was just cover exactly, songs, exactly. where his where his bass is very prominent on. Conspiracy shattered into smithereens. That's right. <laughs> I mean, they hazed Jason. They charged all the shit to his room. They put apple pie in his whatever. They they definitely fucked with him. I just oh, don't yeah. think they were. I don't think they were using one of their pieces of art, their big statement about corporate and legal injustice and free speech and blacklisting. I don't think they were using that moment to haze yeah. Jason Newstead. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's see. Now Fleming has come out. Speaking of not necessarily the bass sound, but sort of the dry vibe of it. He's come out and said that he wanted it to be more ambient, more like puppets and uh, ride the lightning, but that the dudes. The dudes really wanted it to be that kind of dry thing. And looking back on that, I would have preferred to hear it more ambient, but I also kind of like that they... Justice very much has the Justice for All sound. Oh, it's it's its own thing. I mean, so much so that you can go online and find people with any, any era of Metallica, especially like a lot of the new hardwired stuff, where people have these tones saved in their computers or on amps or whatever and drum samples where they'll put up a video like uh, you know if hardwired was on injustice for all and it's the right. hard it's hardwired that sounds exactly like that it's 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 got its own unique quality and that's the thing sometimes that speaking of the bass doesn't really bother me I mean I would trust me I'd love to hear a remix of it but um, it doesn't bother me because I've listened to it the same way for so long it's, right. it's the sound of it's the sound of that record it is. And I and I and it, maybe that's just time. Maybe we're nostalgic. It, I'd be, I'd like to hear from like a twelve year old kid that's getting into metal, hear it for the first time. I'd like to hear what their thoughts were. Yeah. But, uh, and it also speaks to just how powerful the songs are. Yes, very much so. The songs are just so powerful that it almost doesn't matter. Um, Fleming also said this from an engineering standpoint that he thinks what, so the producers don't usually mix the records. Producers come in and say sort of shape the general progress and the, they help you achieve the vision and all that stuff. Yes. But then they usually split. Some producers like our friend Paul Moak actually mix the records they produce, but they split and someone else, in this case Steve Thompson, mixed it. And Fleming has said one of the reasons that it sounds so dry is he thinks that when Steve got all the tracks, they had different room mics. They had mics that are like out in the room that are more ambient. Then they had the close mics. 
And he thinks that they, for whatever reason, aesthetic reasons, mix the record with only all the close mics. I think so. so. Really I mean, hear, you it's, it definitely sounds that way to me. You can there. There's a little bit of ambience you can hear on the drums, especially on like um, on Dire's Eve, where it goes in that long tom fill. Before, boo 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 boo. That yeah, slow down. You can, you tom can thing. hear some room in there, but that's there's not a lot on there. Uh, maybe and on the, the song of Justice for All on the drum part yeah. at the beginning, but do do da do do da do 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 do. <laughs> yeah, that one. I did the I did the guitar part. Gun, 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 gun. <laughs> I did I did the toms. Well, the drums do that too. They go right. That's right. And you can hear a little bit of like a little bit of reverb and, and delay on some of Kirk's solos too. But yeah, it is a pretty dry record. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Lyrical themes, obviously political injustice, seen through. Prism of War, Censored Speech, Nuclear Aftermath. We mentioned the blacklisting. Yeah. Uh, Lars has described the songwriting process during that era as their quote-unquote CNN years. <laughs> right. I, I, I could have sworn it was a f- the more Fox News years. James, let's go and get hammered. Oh, I'm going to watch CNN, dude. i gotta, I got to write lyrics for Blacken tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, dude. The short, the shortest straw needs a bridge. Put CNN on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Man, I was, I was watching MSNBC and I was trying to write lyrics to, to. Sorry, trying not to laugh here. I was trying to write lyrics to "To Live Is to Die." Got nothing. We'll just, we'll use we'll use the stuff that Cliff wrote. Why aren't there lyrics to "To Live Is to Die"? Oh, because the TV wasn't working that day. Yeah, my rabbit ears weren't weren't getting this getting the channel. I I couldn't watch the court proceedings on CSNBC. Sorry. We're going to have to do an instrumental. Uh, the last note I have, and I, I did write this, it may seem insignificant, but we've talked a lot about one Mr. Kirk Hammett and his involvement in Hardwired. And, you know, it's it's just worth mentioning that he has five co-writes on this record. And I think that, I think he had, brings a lot of good stuff to the table in his co-writes. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, co-write doesn't always mean that, you know, he wrote the solo necessarily, like... You know, because obviously it's Kirk playing pretty much all the solos on every record, but um, you know, this is him coming in like writing part of the song, like a riff think, or whatever. I, I think if Hammett has a co-write, it's pretty much guaranteed that he had a part in the riffs. Yeah, because there's lots of songs he he plays solos in almost every song, and in those songs he does not have a co-write. So, right, I think we can reduce it to more than just the guitar solos. Yeah, and I don't I don't know exactly what I know that you know the bridge to creeping death obviously the main hook to inner Sandman we know some of those but yeah all I know is when his name is on that writing thing I usually like that song you know yeah totally I wonder I don't think if he like gets on, enough credit in that department you know yeah I wonder if like on uh, the song of justice for all like the, the the whole intro thing was was his deal you know that kind it, of classical sounding thing. yeah exactly. I think, I mean, that, that, to me, that sounds like something he would write. I was actually, when I was waiting for you to, to be ready to record this episode, I was sitting here in my hotel with my guitar playing that intro, and I was like, man, what a beautiful part, and really fun to play, too. It's one of my favorite moments on the record, and uh, honestly, one of my favorite moments in all of Metallica. So, yeah. since, since we're already kind of doing that, let's jump in. Let's, let's junk into it. Junk in. Let's, let's junk into friends. it. Let's junk into <laughs> it, man. Uh, track by track of Injustice for All... Now, we've talked about Blackened. Blackened is my second all-time favorite Metallica song, and it is your all-time favorite Metallica song. It's my song. number one. And as we talked about before, after you listen to this, go listen to Alpha Metallica, where I talk with Tom about the, just the song. It's like 40 minutes of us just talking about Blackened. 
you can hear 40 minutes of me and Tom arguing about better than you, then you can hear 40 <laughs> minutes of Tom and Ethan both gushing over how badass Blackened is. And if I had been privy to that, I would have been joining you. <laughs> yeah, it was. And speaking of that podcast, it was a really, a really fun time to talk with him. Uh, we did it over Skype, and uh, heck of a guy fun podcast and I, yeah i'm excited for you guys to hear the blackened episode i thought we had some i thought we had some good insightful points and uh it was mostly us just kind of being you know metallica nerds and just like did you give gushing. up did you give up all the goods on that show did you save anything for our goddamn show nope we got to talk about blackened right now i'm kidding no we're gonna talk about blackened right away <laughs> <clears throat> i might be straight, I, 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 straight away that sounded like the turner duckworth like straight away sire turner duckworth here to talk about blackened Straight away, cheerio. Um, no, I mean, if 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 you're listening to, uh, to this before uh, Alpha Metallica, then this will be this will be uh, the new thoughts about Blackened. But I mean, I think, and I mentioned this on Tom's podcast, so I'm sorry, Clint. Um, but I mean, I think this God intro, damn it, Tom, Tom, I think I think the intro. Oh! To Bla- oh! <laughs> <laughs> that was hey, a brother. To my, that was a callback to my Paul joke. Because it was so good. <laughs> it was. Oh, it was good. Because it was um, good. So I will say. Oh wait. By the way, I, I, when you started yelling, Paul, I immediately <laughs> looked at my hotel room door, <laughs> thinking like, "Oh, someone has surely heard that." <laughs> I also think it's funny that anybody walking down the hall or can hear either of us across the hall is only hearing one side of this conversation. <laughs> Dude, I have like tears in my eyes from that. Just thinking of someone hearing me shout Paul. <laughs> totally. So, <laughs> all right. So how about how about track by track now? Yeah, okay. So we got to talk about this backwards guitar thing because it's so fucking cool. It's so fucking cool. And if you haven't heard the forward version, and if you don't know, the intro, before everything comes in, before the drums come in, that is in reverse. <laughs> And it's really cool to hear the original version. It's still a really cool, well-written part. And I don't know what the inspiration was for them to put it in reverse. Maybe it just sounded kind of creepy. But I think, I think this is, in my opinion, this is the best album intro on any record. I agree. Totally agree. Uh, I mean, it, it rivals I, to, Battery, to, but uh, to, I, I love Battery like we all do. Uh, to me, the very close second though is Fight Fire because I love that acoustic thing. Sure. But it's yeah, it, what a what a cool idea to play it backwards. Hey, I know a guy that can do it forward. If you want me to get him real quick, Paul. Uh, <laughs> Paul. I this is ha- one of J- <laughs> this is one of Jason Newstead's only three co-writes. Isn't it weird that it's this one? I know it's it, especially for how long he was in the band. I mean, I don't know if that was a thing where maybe it's part of the hazing process where like, uh, yeah, cool idea, Jason, we're not going to use it, but, or maybe he just, maybe he didn't bring a lot to the table. Who knows? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I used to think that it was that the other three guys were buttholes, but I don't know if he brought a lot of good. St- so apparently what I read today was that his contribution to blackened is that main riff, which is one of their coolest riffs. Thank you, Jason. I mean, thank you for the, the sweet, sweet riffage. Yes. Yeah, seriously. And I, 
Oh, I love every part of the song. I love the lyrics. I love, I mean, it's a very complicated song when you really start to dig into it with the time oh, yeah. signature stuff. But I love that sort of guitar mini thing that James and Kirk do. Oh, it's going, into, really, going into the solo? Yeah. Oh, that is one of the, I think that's one of the most beautiful Metallica parts in any song. Yeah. And it's such really a good, good. it's such a good build up to Kirk's, I think, I could put this in one of my, Easily my top five best Kirk solos is the yeah, Black and solo. It it's, he it just fucking annihilates it. He uh, might we say he rips it. Um, should we call him the Ripper? I guess let's. You know what? Let's decide now that we should call Kirk Hammett the Ripper. Let's call him the Ripper. Okay. So the All Ripper right. rips this bitch in solo. Now it's really one of my favorite Kirk solos. I think he's in he's in like top form on this song. It's I, well, yeah. I, I have some thoughts about Kirk soloing, but I'll talk, save them at the end as we sort of recap it. But okay, uh, it is my favorite solo on the entire record. Oh wow, nice! Favorite song on the record, favorite solo on the record, Blackened, right out of the gate. Dude, there you go. Okay, that's the episode, everybody. We'll see you next week. Uh, see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> next year we're taking five months off. So into another one of my favorites, title track, and Justice for All. Yeah, second and, and longest again, song on the record. And again, with another uh, beautiful intro. Oh, it's the fourth longest. Uh, let's see. I had a note about it. I think Isn't it's the fourth it, uh, largest song of their entire catalog. Yeah. It's crazy. What's number one, Clint? Uh, Suicide and Redemption. Correct. What's you didn't number, think I would know that, did you? I know what number two is. To Live is to Die. Oh, no. Is, Out, no Outlaw Torn? Uh, Outlaw Torn. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, man. I knew that. Hey, whatever, man. <laughs> That's the most vegan song. I haven't eaten the meat in 20 years. It's hard for me to retain information. It's been, <laughs> I it's, it's smart ground. It's like... All right. Uh, what can we say about Injustice for All? Um, I, here's one thing I really like, and, and I'm not. Uh, this is a huge reason why I would love to one day be talking to someone like James or Lars. <clears throat> uh, after he hears all of our vegan jokes... All of our characters. He, he's oh. going to hear. He's going to hear twenty minutes of Hulk Hogan and be like, "I'm not talking to these fucking clowns. I'm not talking to these idiots. It's like the Jerky Boys or something." <laughs> um, so uh, the Lars drum part that I so elegantly mouthed earlier. Dude, turn it down. Turn the record down. Hey, sorry, bro. Sorry. <laughs> Just can't stop. Uh, I really wonder if Lars wrote that drum part before the riff or vice versa. Because, mm. I mean, he's ba- he's basically playing the riff on drums. Yeah. I'm going to guess the riff came first. That would be my guess. I'm guessing so. But um, but either way, I mean, you know, you don't always have to, you know, as a drummer go, especially in metal, like go right to the riff and go, I'm going to play exactly that. Yeah, but I, I think, think it's in, cool. I think it's very fitting <clears throat> for this song. And I just, I love the sort of brutalness of it. It's doing that kind of cocoon, cocoon, coo, but then I just love the bam, 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 bam. bam. Oh yeah, it's pretty it's so brutal. Good. I love it. And another one of my favorite moments of Metallica is the uh, in the chorus that yep, that like string waterfall walk up thing they do. I love it. Excuse really me. Really cool I'm, guitar I'm, playing on this. I'm record. burping over here. I had Chipotle before we started this. Oh lord! Did you have the steak or the chicken? <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Clint. <laughs> uh, actually, I had the sofritas. It's their vegan option. Yeah, we know. We know you did, hey, and we support of, you. Speaking of Chipotle, if anyone out there is works for Chipotle uh, headquarters, we could definitely use some free Chipotle over here. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with. I'm down with diarrhea. <laughs> 
Do you not like Chipotle? <laughs> God, I love it. I do like Chipotle. I would eat it every day. I'm on a bit of a diet currently, though. I'm eating pretty much just tuna and vegetables. It yeah, that, that was the. I'm 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 a bit on a diet too. Today was the only thing. I mean, since I've left for the road again, it's like the biggest thing I've eaten, which is giant. But normally on show days and catering, I'll just get like like huge salads, which is so fun. Yeah, it's so, <clears throat> eating eating well is real not fun it's boring man it really is boring trying to like be healthier it just sucks well here's what i have to do on the bus when i'm like trying to be healthy because i know you're what's really weird is both ethan and i independent of each other decided not to drink for a little bit and uh when i'm on the bus with my dudes i just basically have to go be in my bunk by myself because they're (laughs) eating lots of pizza and wings and drinking beer yeah and having a really nice time and uh you mean it's not a nice, it's not a nice time in your bunk by yourself not drinking no no it's it's not it's a very grim me just watching twin peaks and okay, okay. Trying, trying to take medication to go to sleep see <laughs> it doesn't that sound amazing that sounds god that sounds, that sounds like nirvana um god. see I, i've taken the opposite approach where i'm kind of just like jumping right in the fire no pun <clears throat> totally intended um oh he uh, did it i did it i did it. did you hear that that's from kill them all <laughs> um but uh, like last night, for instance, like we finished the show, we loaded out, and I went on the bus. I got you know a water, just trying to party a little bit, and mm-hmm. had my bottle of water and went outside. Like uh, the opening band is, is this guy Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, who were really cool. Yeah. And um, we were hanging with them, and everyone's drinking, having fun, and I'm just like drink, sipping my you know my whatever brand water I was drinking. I was like, at first I'm like, God, this sucks. And then after a while, I was kind of like, eh, I'm cool. So all that cool. to say. <laughs> Not cool. It was vegan water. Don't worry. Um, yeah, all, all that to say, and I'll, I'll bring us back from that tangent. Clint and I are on a little bit of a health kick right now, trying to get better, get in better shape and better form for the show. You know, we're gonna be running the uh, the biannual Metal Up Your Podcast five uh, k start. That's right. Starting, Mar- starting marathon, in November. Mar- marathon up your ass. <laughs> right now it's just good. Right, right now it's just tough to do the podcast because. Just get really out of breath and give me a second. We're doing this for you guys. That's right. Okay. Um, are we cool with Injustice for All? We can move on to Eye of the Beholder. Uh, well, let's talk about this. So when they would perform it, and they've since done it and through the Never and such, they would bring a, a immaculately created Lady Justice oh, that, would then, right. that would then crumble to the stage, right? <clears throat> So that's worth mentioning, which we didn't talk about the artwork very much. We should, we'll, we'll talk about the artwork a little later. Yeah, well, we'll let's we'll talk it. about it now because it's Injustice for All, and that's that's the title That's track. true. Okay. The artwork is awesome. Okay. We're done. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, Eye of the Beholder. You, let's not you, talk about the artwork. We've already done it. We did it on the on the Top 10 artwork episode. Yeah. We told you yeah. who made it. We told you what we liked about it. We did it. Yeah. It's awesome. What else do you want from us? Jeez. Yeah. I think it's awesome. It's sufficient. Uh, Eye of the Holder. Uh, I I do. I love the fade in intro. Oh, it just it's one of my favorites. Adds a good like suspense gun, gun, of what's gun, coming. Gun, 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 gun. Uh, it's so it's good. One of, it's one of the heavier moments on the record. Yeah, I agree. Do you like the sort of like chorusing, flangey effects on James's vocals? Um, I feel like it kind of dates it a little bit. It dates it a little bit. Um, it's a lot better than the the vocal effects on the weight off the Garage Days EP. That one's really tough to listen to for me right right um but it doesn't bother me that much it doesn't make me skip the song or anything there's nothing i skip on this record um yeah i dig it it, it might date it a little bit but i mean they did record it in 1988 um 
but it's a it's a cool heavy song and then going from you know the normal digga 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 dun dun digga dun into that chorus that you know where it goes to a swing beat basically yeah so good i mean metallica can swing man yeah they can swing they can swing yeah you guys swing hey you you swing daddy oh (laughs) daddy oh No, I I love that this one this one goes from a straight beat to a swung beat, back and forth. Uh, just a good, it's a good diverse song stylistically. I think they've only played it 125 times. Last played in 1989. That's the last time they played it. Damage Justice tour was that was it. That so was they the basically played it. They played it like on that tour for yeah, a year t- essentially. Yeah, and then bye bye. Wow. I would love to hear them pull that one back out. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I, I mean, when we get into like the more deeper cuts on this record, uh, I might it might disappoint you a little bit some of my thoughts about that. But okay. I would like to see Eye of the Beholder come back out of hiding. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, come now, on, guys, it's only six minutes <clears throat> and twenty five seconds. You can do it. <laughs> it's only one of the most complicated, intricate, progressive songs you've ever written. Just do it. Just get in that tuning room and, ha- and just hack it out. Come on. When they when they finished the Damage Justice tour, uh, Kirk has been quoted as saying this, but he never says what song. Just speaking of how intricate and long the songs were, it, yeah, how kind of making and touring this record was one of the cogs in the wheel that got them to make a record like the Black Album that was slower and groovier. Yeah, is he is he said that they like got off stage one night after playing one of these songs, and that one of them was like, "We're never playing that fucking song." Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kirk. I've also seen like seen footage of Kirk talking about like you know. They're you know six minutes into one of these songs, and they look out in the crowd, and the, the crowd's looking kind of bored. Like you're still playing this song. Yeah. Now I love these long songs. I love the length of them. I, I, I do too. There's no parts in the songs where I'm like, yeah, this part sucks. Um, but I get it. If you're in a band and you wrote this stuff and you're playing it every night, you know, um, it kind of, to me it kind of makes sense after hearing those stories that they would shorten songs, slow them down, and do the, something like the Black Album. Right. Right. Well, because they just needed a fucking break from that. Yeah, and I've seen you know James has gone on record too as saying that when they were writing this record, he said that one of the reasons it's so long and intricate is that they were basically like trying to prove what they were capable of in that department. And Goal achieved, I think, and I think they did it. You know, like they yeah, fucking did it. Kind of. They, they they made probably the premier record of chops, lyrics, hooks, length, intricacy. Yeah. You know. Anyway, in my opinion, I agree. I agree. Now <clears throat> let's talk about one one is in no danger of making any of my top lists now having said that it is definitely one of their masterpieces i agree yes inspired as we all know by the novel johnny got his gun in the movie uh this song is just this song is amazing it is a journey it's it's incredibly dynamic it goes up and down all around it's got very beautiful uh, melodic, kind of classical sounding melodic moments. Very it's much got... so. In between the chorus, in between the choruses and verses, that that, that, that stuff you're talking about. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. And I mean, it's all the, it's everything from that all the way to the fucking machine gun part at the end. That well, that is part, so that, fitting. That drumming part, the we all know the whatever. I can't even yeah. do it with my hands. It's like, is that? <laughs> uh, Clint, like, what did you, did you throw Metallica? a pair of shoes in the dryer? <laughs> I think I threw your butt in the dryer. Oh, oh man! What? <laughs> uh, what does it say about Lars that you could you could actually? There was a bit on Howard Stern once where <clears throat> Richard Christie, who does, do you follow the Stern universe at all? 
I don't. I, I, I kind of okay. kind of fell off that ship a while ago. They have an intern who's a massive uh, metal fan. He was before he joined the Stern crew a metal drummer, and they were they had Metallica on the Howard Stern show, and then the whole. Uh, they invited Howard and some of the crew to go see them at their Apollo show. Remember their Apollo show they did in oh, New York yeah. a few years ago? Yeah. And Richard, Cri- Richard Christie, who's just an intern, was basically begging Howard to let him go. <clears throat> and so they were making him do all these humiliating things to try to win a chance to go meet the dudes. And yeah. one of the things they did was they had they played Metallica drum parts on someone's butt, and he had to guess <laughs> what they were. Did he, did he get them all? He, he he did, and it's like it's amazing that they have those kinds of not maybe not on someone's butt, but you can you can drum them to yourself and be like you know you can go you know the from the bell tolls and oh yeah totally creeping death and it's probably one of the most famous metal drum parts of all time. It really is. I I, I remember reading something with Fleming who and he said that 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 I don't know if he did the whole song in one take, but the whole machine gun part that he did it in one take on the record. Wow. Now, as we know nowadays, like he doesn't really do that part that great live. But you know what? You sit down on the fucking drums and try to do it. It's hard. Yeah, it's those, real not easy. Those tri- those triplets are. It's not easy. Now, if you're like a Chris Adler or something like that, or you know, I'm sure Joy Jordanson can do that stuff. But those guys are like incredibly skilled metal drummers. I don't consider myself a metal drummer, but it's it's tough. All that to say, but it's one of the most <laughs> iconic parts of any metal song. And, you know, had, so I, I think the whole band shines, well, except the bass player, but uh, <laughs> James's, James's lyrics, like this whole, very, do you remember how creepy this song was when you were a kid? Yeah, I've talked about this before. That's, that's the first song I ever heard by Metallica when I saw the one video and I was like, uh, this is frightening. It really was. It's, it's definitely not that anymore for me, but this was a really cool, creepy song. His lyric writing kind of capturing what this guy must have felt like is really powerful and the, Very. the whole the whole thing over the machine gun drum the darkness imprisoning me i mean it's so fucking good oh it's so good i love yeah and, and all of kirk's moments that middle kind of clean solo in the in the middle of the song i think is really good yeah the guitarmony thing once again and like kind of another blackened type moment that him and james do in the solo the song is just a tour de force. It's yeah. not one I'd want to listen to that much, but if it's on, I'm air drumming and air guitar playing, and I, I recognize that it's a high peak in their career. Oh, yeah, and, and this is another, I'd say, I'd say Hammett's main solo on the song is definitely, sorry, the Ripper, his main solo on the song is is for sure one of his most iconic solos. Yep, agreed. Agreed. Well, all right. All right. Short, Short straw. straw. I, I like- love this song you're a big fan of this one huh i love this song yeah it's so good i still don't understand how the intro drums what the timing is of that and for further explanation of that you should look up lars uh filming guitar hero metallica for this song and even he's like i don't remember what i did in the studio (laughs) i wonder if they like cobbled it together in an edit I feel Maybe like that's... they did because I've I've sat down and tried to I, mean, I haven't looked it up to see if somebody's done this I'm sure they have, but I've tried to sit there and map out like what is the tempo of this if they used a click track on this whole record what is this tempo I can't fucking figure it out but you're right maybe it's something they just are you playing it right now yeah this is the part you're talking about yeah So it seems like so when it when it kicks in right there, it seems like that tempo that 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 should be it, but um, I don't know. Got to do a little more research. 
I'm going to have to just ask Lars about that later on tonight in Denton, Texas, where we're hanging out. Oh, that's cool. New Jersey, right? <clears throat> New Jersey, yeah. Denton, yeah, that's Texas, great. New Jersey. Oh, uh, give old Larsy my best. I, I like the song a lot, too. It, it doesn't rise to the top of some of my favorites, but I do. I, there's nothing I don't like about it. I do like the... Uh, these lyrics are very metal. Yes, this, very metal. He's, there's a line where he says, uh, this vertigo it doth bring. <laughs> <laughs> it doth bring. That's, that's almost biblical. <laughs> it's amazing. And I will say, one of their best t-shirt designs ever is the shortest straw t-shirt. Which What was that one? The shortest straw shirt uh, on the back. It, it had it had like this the the pus head skull like holding like a, the short straw, okay. and on the back it had like the vertigo thing with another pus head skull, and in the bottom it said "In vertigo you will be." It's it's one of their best best merch designs ever. Very cool. Yeah, I, I like the one design, the pus head one design too. Yeah, made uh, ma- uh, recently made famous on my battle jacket. <laughs> Recently made famous, uh, seen on TMZ, uh, Ethan's battle jacket. Yep, yeah, it was me coming out of some bar, hammered drunk, which is why I'm uh, sobered up. There, there's great double bass in this song too. Oh yeah, he does a lot of cool stuff on the do da do da da do. Right, that's a great part of the song. But but it's all like it's it's used very well. It's not just yeah. like like Dyer's Eve, which we'll get to. Just the whole all, all the verses have that constant double kick. Yeah, which which I love. It makes those verses some of the coolest shit they've ever done. But I yeah. do like in the shortest straw how it's a little more sparse. Uh, I did make a note. I wrote, is this Kirk's most 80s sounding solo? Because he's got these like whammy bar dives and harmonics. Yeah, harmonics, like, yeah. To me, it sounds the most kind of like of the time, that late 80s kind of stupid hair metal thing. I think if, the there closest... were more, if there were more effects on it, like it was really like a ton of reverb and chorus on it, maybe so. But I, I don't know, like... It is it is very of that time, but I still think it's a rad solo, and it's definitely got the the old Kirkism the the descending. Oh, yeah. it's definitely got that in it. But yeah, dude, again, he's ripping it, man. He's ripping it on this fucking record. Oh, he totally is. I mean, and this is this is a shining moment album for him. I I think that I think that in terms of metal guitar, and I'm using like air quotes. I think this was as strong as he ever was. I think the Black Album might be pound for pound, all career spanning his best. But I, in terms of melody and constructing and them being really yeah. like emotional, lyrical, but in terms of just straight up 80s metal ripping, this he is, is it. Yeah. He is fucking unstoppable on this yeah. whole record. I agree. And dude, this as a guitar player, like the shortest straw has some of the funnest riffs to play. I've never learned to play it. You should. It's really fun. Even just even just the verse, just that. It's it's a it's a blast to play on guitar. Can I can I learn it by having you sing it to me like that? I'm like, all right, back yeah. up, do it, do right. it again, do and it slower. Do, then, okay, so then go. Oh man, it's idiot. Performed only 92 times, last in 2013. Oh, that's right. It wasn't that long ago. This is another one I would like to I would like to see crop up. I mean, can we? I mean, can we hope for something for the 35th anniversary of this record next year? I, I, I think so. I mean, sorry, 30th, 30th, not 35th. Um, uh, I think so because they'll 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 be kind of like the big initial boom, the big North American CD release of Hardwired will be obviously died down a little bit. They're still going to be on tour. What yeah. better way to kick up ticket sales for the current thing, sell current records by putting out a deluxe? 30th anniversary of one of their most acclaimed records. Dude, I think it'd be so awesome. You know, I was reminded uh, uh, of this, of 
we talked about this record being remixed today. And uh, earlier today, I was at uh, Newberry Comics here in Boston and going through the records, and they um, they had the... Do you remember the when Pearl Jam uh, 10 turned 20, they did a remix of it? From Brendan yeah. O'Brien did it? Yeah, they took a but, bunch of reverb off of it. But when you when you buy it, when you buy the vinyl, it's the original mix right. on vinyl, and both. then the other records, you get both. So why not yeah. do that for this record? That'd be great. You've got two customers right here, guys. And <laughs> you're going to sell at least two of them. At least two will be sold. Uh, Harvester of Sorrow. What do you think about Harvester of Sorrow? Um, I think Harvester of Sorrow would be a prime candidate to play right after Hetfield says Metallica gives you heavy. More than Sabbath True? I think if, if you listen to the... I, I've compared these two before. Uh, I, I think the verse riff <laughs> of this and Sabbath True are pr- fairly similar in feel. Yeah. And um, I think this song is just heavy. It's a slower tempo. This could have, you know, I think this could have maybe even, you know, parts of this at least could have been, you know, maybe on the Black Album. Um, they recently played it, uh, I think, just in Quebec City, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it sounded great. I, I mean, I wish we could, could have gotten Harvester of Sorrow. Um, yeah. I think it's just well, a bitch and heavy song. Some some great leads by Kirk. Uh, yeah, just heavy. Well, I think they've been doing they've been doing it in the Rome slot. <clears throat> Our friend Dina Lindemann, who's been sort of keeping up with what's going on with the World Wired Tour in terms of set lists, says that they've been doing Harvester in the Rome slot when they've been playing indoors and at festivals. Yeah. Well, hey, man, maybe that's just maybe that's just them uh, starting to warm up songs for the arena tour next year or something. Like, I'd still like to see Sabbath True. I still think it's a little heavier, but I do agree with you. It's a pretty special song. I'd rather hear this than Wherever I'm in Rome. And I like Wherever I'm in Rome. Yeah, me too. But I, I'm with you. I'd rather hear uh, Harvester of Sorrow. I do, man, the, the opening after the da, 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 that clean guitar that comes in, it's so so scary sounding to me. And like, oh man, it sounds like it's some out of a horror movie. Yeah, there there's a I've seen Lars say before that I guess after they put it out and they were touring it for some reason, James was singing Harvester of Sorrows. <laughs> just it just sort of got in his head that way and, right. and Lars hated it. It was like, dude, it's dude. It's uh, not sorrow. Dude, it's uh, it's, dude. it's sorrow. <laughs> those are, those like, are both terrible Lars impressions by the way. Uh, yeah, we're really bad at that. But James I'm, is like, "Well, I wrote it, motherfucker." Yeah, I'll, it's going to you know, it's going to be two sorrows. This song has been played 761 times. Now this one's gotten some love. This one's gotten some love and uh I'm happy they're bringing it back again. Yeah, me too. I, I hope that our European friends get it for sure, and I hope we get to see it next year. Yeah, me too. Dude, uh, the, the, the freight, freight ends of sanity. Ends of sanity. Um, I fucking love this song. I would love to see this one live again. Um, now, um, as any of you that's gone to this current tour have seen, at the end of the set they do play this riff. Right. Um, after they play Sandman. And it's so cool, and they do it real quick. It's just kind of just to cap off the show, a little teaser, and that's it. Yeah, and they used to do it after Seek and Destroy. Like, they do it after whatever the last song is. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I love this song. I love the uh, I love the Wizard of Oz intro. I, it's the one thing I don't like on the whole record is that part. Because of the Wizard of Oz? I don't... Oh, oh, oh. It's hokey to me. It's a little hokey, but it goes. It, it matches the riff, obviously. And imagine them. Imagine us being in Detroit at that show, and they played that, and the whole crowd was doing that. You would not keep your mouth shut. 
Yeah, I, yeah, it's a fun live thing. It's sure, a fun live thing, I think. And maybe that's why they did it originally on, on the record was like, oh, this would be a great part live. I am curious. A, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, if I'm trying to turn someone on a Metallica and I played that, I would be a little embarrassed. Like, uh, dude, okay. you got to check us out. It's one of my favorite bands. It's one of the most important metal bands of all time. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's like, is that fucking Wizard of Oz? <laughs> I'll get you my pretty. <laughs> I'll get you my sandwich with no beat. <laughs> uh, I do like that it is from a film. Like I do like that this is a band that does inject culture into their, you know, the Johnny got his gun and yeah, for whom the bell tolls with the Hemingway stuff and the uh, the creeping death, the Ten Commandments, and now this with the Wizard of Oz. I do like all that about them. I do too, man. I love it. Let me ask you this, because obviously I I dived into it a little more these deep cuts more than I might otherwise. Um, the twisting on your schizophrenia, falling deep into dementia line, that's through the never. <laughs> twisting under schizophrenia. Yeah. Twisting, turning through the never. The never. It is. He ripped himself off. Which I think is totally fine. It's just that oh. when it reminds, like, you know how I feel about through the never. It's one of my, it's in my top 10. Yeah, yeah. So, so I can't not hear that. I know it's the record before it, but. Uh, but you know what? You know, so I, I think a lot of artists have done that over the years. They'll, they'll write per- certain parts of their songs where maybe it's not on purpose. It's just kind of like, you know, something that's, you know, a habit of playing maybe this song for, for a number of years. Um, but it doesn't bother me unless it's like a blatant thing. Like, why did he just do that? You know, like he when Hetfield s- has like, you know, in, in, in more recent records, you know, um, like Memory Remains, when he, when he says the words fade, fade to, black, to black, you're yeah, like, oh, like, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. 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 He also says uh, "struggle within" in the first verse. "Struggle within" triggered again. Yep. Now the candle burns at both ends. Thought that was interesting. <clears throat> I wonder little, if some some of these precursors lyrics to the Black Album. Yeah, I wonder if something like that was maybe like inspiration. Like, hey, that's a cool line. That'd be a great song title. Right. Yeah. You know, because yep, some probably. some guys, as as we know, like some writers, like maybe will come up with song titles first. Like, oh, that's a really cool saying, or that's a really cool you know thing I read in a book. Um, yeah, that's maybe that's the case Paul, with this. That's what my friend Paul McCartney does. So. Oh, uh, that's cool. My um, uh, my friend uh, Ringo Starr told me never to drop names. <laughs> Come on, Clint. Ringo who? Um, Ringo. I got nothing funny for that one. Sorry. Ringo who, brother? Does you always have that? You always have the whole Ringo story. Hogan, brother. <laughs> Ringo Hogan. Yeah, we were definitely in a band together. Uh, I like the pre-chorus double kick. I like the chorus to the song. Uh. There's a cool first little solo, then there's more guitar mini, which I always love. But then, uh, this also bothers me about the song. Okay. The way that the way the next solo starts, the kind of the ripper part of the solo. Yeah. It does that same thing he does in Black and that. Yeah. That kind of whammy does. bar pull up. It's like the exact same thing. It is, but I mean, what twice on one record? That's you know yeah. sixty five minutes long. I know. I know. It I'm not. Me. It's. But here's the thing too: is that like you're so far into this record at this point that you, to me, it's like you kind of forget about that he did the same little thing going into a solo. Right. Yeah. And I'm kind of nitpicking it. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. You know, I think you need to calm down a little bit, man. I'm getting kind of flustered over here, man. Listen, this. Hey, hey man. <laughs> it's not drinking thing, bro. You need to like really like hydrate and get some water so, in you. Yeah, man. You sound dehydrated. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, did you know that in 1990, Metallica went under the stage name The Frayed Ends and did a private gig at the Marquee? It's so cool. God, it's pretty cool. I been there. It's pretty cool? That's fucking awesome. That's pretty cool. 
Oh my god, you guys! Did they you say per- they, they went into the frayed ends? Oh my god! There. Sometimes you know, my ha- my hair gets like that. Yeah. Sometimes when like the weather's bad, I call my hair the frayed ends of sanity. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Seriously. They've only. Oh my god. <laughs> now what are our hotel neighbors thinking? <laughs> okay, it's Hulk Hogan's in there with some like girl from the valley. Oh god. I love how those girls like they'll say something that's like really not a big deal. Like, oh my god, my hair looks like shit today. And then the other girl's like, oh my god. <laughs> like It's yeah, or, or my, my my favorite is is the over, the over and improper use of the word literally. Oh, literally. Like, oh my gosh, you guys. Um I, I am saw li- <laughs> I saw Brenna the other day and I literally died. <laughs> No, you didn't. No, you did not die. <laughs> no, literally, I did. You, seriously, uh, you literally have no idea. Well, this song has literally only been performed 12 times. 12 times? That's that's surprising. They did it on that uh, By Request tour in 2015. Yeah. Hey, Metallica, I got a request. The Freight Ends of Sanity. Speaking of totally dying... Let's talk about To Live Is To Die. To Live Is To Die is my favorite instrumental of the four. It's your favorite one. Okay. It's, I believe it's my second favorite. Okay. After Orion? After Orion, yeah. So, tribute to Cliff. He apparently was fond of the phrase. Now, the spoken word part in the tune was incorrectly attributed as being written by Cliff. He wrote the second half of it. That's right. Okay. The first half was written by a German poet, Paul Gerhardt, and it was popularized in the 1981 film Excalibur. So that is the that is the great unveiling of the secret. Of there that it is, song. guys. The, the gavel has been hammered down. The hammer of justice has been crushed. And another cool thing about the song is that Hetfield does the second guitar solo after that slower kind of acoustic midsection. Which, by the way, the intro to the song and the middle of the song, two of my favorite moments in all of Metallica. Oh yeah, uh, the bridge to this song is one of the most beautiful parts, and and I don't think Headfield is Headfield is even credited as playing the lead on this record. Uh, I don't know if it's credited, but I don't I don't think he is, and it's something that I've try I've looked up and sought out before, and it's usually just like people like rumors, like I'm pretty sure he did this second right. you know mellow solo on this record or on this song, but um, it's 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 one of my favorite moments, like you said, on any Metallica record. That great acoustic intro, and then when they do go to that middle part, it's that kind of lo-fi electric guitar. Yeah, and have you noticed that this bridge, when it when um when it comes out of the solo and gets to the big part, you know, dun, 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 yeah, it's it's basically the chorus of the day that never comes. Yeah, yeah, or it's, well, I, think, it's like I think off by one chord. I think we kind of. When we were on our way up to Detroit, we were listening to Day Never Comes, and we were like, "Shit, this sounds like To Lose to Die." Yeah, which hey, I'm I'm not opposed. It's a great, no, it's I a, love it. It's a great chord progression. Uh, it's long, but it takes you on a journey. You can sing those guitar so that first Kirk so that he does that like full stop kind of bluesy thing. Oh, that's very cool. Um, I mean, the main have, riff in the song <clears throat> is one of the heaviest parts in this record. Gung, 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 gung. Yeah, it's great. Were you just I singing bana- Bonanza? 
it's it's mesmerizing and to the point of it being mesmerizing it goes back into that acoustic-y thing at the end down 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 but that sharp edit right into Dire's Eve is super jarring. Oh man, it, I, if you're like listening to this record like full bore and that acoustic part, you know, comes on at the end, the outro, and you kind of turn it up a little more when Dire's Eve comes in, <laughs> shit will scare you. Yeah, it's loud. Which I obviously they that was intentional, right? I mean, that wasn't an accident. Of course, that had to be intentional. They're like, let's get the want, shit out of our fans. We don't want any time between when this song ends and when this song begins. Can you like do that, mastering guy? mastering guy <laughs> let's talk about Dire Z this is one of your favorites too oh my god I mean this this is this song is unstoppable it's it's easily like a, a Metallica classic like end of the record kind of like how Damage Inc closed out yep. puppets like yep this thing is just like it's you know when you when you you know I think they played it uh, when was it last like in Athens Greece or something yeah they only played it 35 times yeah and they played it and it sounded great I'm like god I want they play this more um I think Hetfield's vocals on this are a, a instant highlight on this record. Do you know what I... I don't think I've ever told anyone this. You know what I always thought he was saying my whole life when I was a kid? What's that? Dear mother... <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> I thought he was saying, dear mother, dear father, earth. <laughs> dear mother, dear father, earth. <laughs> well, because like... Black End is about the planet and shit. Yeah. I thought he was like singing some apocalyptic environmental song. Well, it's kind dear of the mother, way. Dear Father Earth. It's kind of the way Hatfield pronounces those words too. Adds like his ahs to the end of it. Father Earth. Father Earth. <laughs> <laughs> when I, the first time I heard this, because I got the record pretty young, I thought it was literally about his parents. I think it is about his parents. You think it's like the. You think it's more about like his upbringing in Scientology, maybe? Yeah. What is this? No, not, no, 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 no. It's not Scientology. It's Christian Science. Or Christian Science. My bad. My bad. Uh, yeah. Well, he talks about uh, uh, you push me onto what's wrong or right, hidden from me this thing you call life, and he talks yeah. about always censoring my every move. Children are seen but are not heard. Tear out everything inspired. Everything inspired. Yeah. Uh, what else does he say? Innocence torn from me. Yeah. Like uh, without your uh, torn without without your shelter. Let's see. Barbarity, I'm, I'm living hit, blindly. He says, hidden in the world you've made for me, seething, bleeding, ripping wounds in me that never heal, undying spite I feel for you, living out this hell you always knew. I, I think, I mean, I think James is a, is a good lyricist and a good artist in the sense that he's writing it broadly, but I think that's coming from him. And I also... I agree, yeah. I also personally see a thread lyrically from this and uh, the song Fixer from Reload. Can you heal oh, yeah, what okay. fa- Can you heal what father's done? Fix a hole in a mother's son. It's another song about his parents, and yeah. But it's however many years later, the ten years later, him kind of dealing with those themes, and yeah, for sure. I think. I mean, I, I think uh, one thing I, I really love about his vocal performance on this song, it, it, it you know that it's about you know his upbringing, right. Um, is the I mean he obviously sounds pissed on this whole record, but I think he sounds the most angry and pissed and frustrated, and I think a lot of it is because of the lyrical content, what he's writing about. It's something that's very personal to him, very deep, something that he probably hadn't written about before, and he's getting it out for the first time. And you know, especially when he said the line, "I've outgrown that fucking lullaby," it's like yeah. pissed off. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I I, I meant, wanted to mention it, but I'd forgotten about it. This is definitely. 
I mean, I know they have a record called Saint Anger, and it's him screaming a bunch of fucking rehab lyrics, and that everyone thinks that's the big anger record. Uh, I think it's almost impossible to listen to, but this record truly does is like angry, uh, angry Hetfield, dude. Well, and imagine also too the place they're in. This is this is only two years after Cliff died. Right, that's what I'm they're talking still, about. They're still grieving about that. I mean, they have a tribute to him on the record. The record's dedicated to him. I mean, all sorts of themes on here that are are, are tugging at his soul. You know. Well, and and the problem with like Saint Anger is it's all too on the nose. I want my anger to be healthy. I want my anger. You know, it's like madly in anger with you. We're gonna call it Saint Anger. We're angry. Yeah. In this in this record, I don't even think you have a clear lyric where he says I'm angry. It's just it's yeah. the it's the spine of this record is yeah. frustration, anger at all the things we talked about, but also I think this deal with his childhood, him growing up, becoming a man, having to deal with all that shit, having to deal with his friend being ripped away from his life. Yeah, man. Having and having to deal with having money for the first time and seeing how the, all the corruption that comes with all that. Yeah, for sure. The tax yeah. man and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that he was dealing with, and a lot of new things coming into his life. Like, I mean, that had to have been insanely overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if old old <clears throat> Phil would have come in handy back then. I I think I think he I think James Hiffel might have like smashed a beer can on Phil's head back then. J- James would have definitely like stabbed him with a, a, a ESP Explorer. Yeah, with, with a pointy guitar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. The double kick in the verse is just fucking like when I, when they talk about them writing and performing a record that just kind of show off their muscle for this yeah. kind of thing. I think of this song. Oh, they, for sure, the double bass. The I mean, the the the, the opening riff after the main the, riff is so crazy fast and yeah. thrashy. When they did play it live those thirty five times, Lars did not play that double kick in the verse, citing that it was too difficult, and I believe him. I fully believe him. It's and really I, and fast. I, and I forgive him. Oh, yeah. All is forgiven, Lars. Don't worry. And just to give Kirk Hammett some more fucking love, badass solo. Yeah, kind the of. The solo on Dyer's Eve is amazing. It's incredible, yeah. Like it, Maybe maybe, maybe all, it, like your second favorite solo on the record? Yeah. Well, no. I like his To Live Is To Die stuff just because I, I can sing those solos. You know, like I know yeah, that's that true. well. Dyer's Eve, I, I I don't remember it all the time, but when I listen to it, I'm stunned. And it it's so crazy. The prowess of it is so amazing that it makes me wonder, like, where's this Kirk at? Because we I don't think we've seen it since. And in, I agree, and, yeah. And mostly in good ways, but even on the Death Magnetic thrashy stuff, it wasn't this stuff. This stuff is like... It wasn't. This stuff is top-notch. This, I mean, I think he was at the top of his technical game here. You know, like you talked about in the Black Elm, he was at the top of his, like composing game right like, yeah he's composing these beautiful parts that fit the song so perfectly and this i mean these do fit the song well but yeah technically speaking this is where he was on top of his game like the fastest like craziest shit well it's like I, i've seen like dave mustaine kind of kind of slag kirk and it, in some ways i get it because dave mustaine in some ways is a better guitar player Sure, but you go listen to Injustice for All and tell me Kirk Hammett's not a fucking ripping guitar player. <laughs> I know, totally. Like the proof is in that pudding for sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like guy like Dave Mustaine, I think. I mean, he's technically a better player, but like you said, man, put this record on. It's it's you can't, a you can't argue game changer. You can't touch it. Yeah, I agree. Well, we did it. We talked about this record for over Dude. an hour. Yeah, we're pushing. We got an hour and a half about here, but man. 
God, that was fun. Let's do it again. Let's do it again right now. Let's start over. Okay. All right. So we're going to get some emails first, guys, because we're, do- <laughs> we we're done the, with the pick. We we're done with the pick, pick contest. contest. <laughs> no, we're done with that. We are done with it. We're not going to, I'm not going to stop encouraging our listeners to do it because it, it's not stopped helping us, even though we've stopped the contest. Yeah, yeah. if you guys want to leave us a review, you're just not going to get any shit for free this time. Right. Uh, yeah, we should just wrap it up with that, I guess. Let us know what you think about Injustice for All. Uh, for a lot of you out there, it's a very important record because it's when you came oh, yeah. online. It, it it represents a lot of things for a lot of people based on the emails we get about it. People yeah. freak out about this record. I'm going to go ahead and throw something <clears throat> out there. Uh, I know we normally do top nine episodes, or sorry, top ten episodes. I, I say... Uh, why don't you guys email us and let us know your top nine songs on this record. Give us the order of favorite to least favorite. I think that would be a tough one for me because I love every song on this record. Um, but that might be a fun thing to, re- uh, to read some fan emails on that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. See what, cause you're going to have someone that's favorite song is frayed and someone whose favorite song is eye of the beholder. There's going to be some wild cards in there. That'll but, be interesting. But, what, but what's great is that I don't think we'll be like mad about any of them. No, hell, here's the deal, man. How can you be mad about any of this stuff? Because it's our favorite band, Metallica. Exactly. And these dudes kick ass. Even my least favorite. I mean, I'll tell you what my least favorites are. My least favorites are the Freightens of Sanity and the Shortest Straw and Eye of the Beholder. But you know what? I still like them a lot. Of course, yeah. Just because it's your least favorite doesn't mean it's like you, it's you actually hate it. True. God, that is so true. Was, my God, that's, I, I just said like something literally so <laughs> prolific. <laughs> You are literally a living god. Oh my god! That no way. <laughs> Thank you so much, Clinton. Well, thanks everyone for listening. As I said at the top of the show, this is one of the most exciting weeks for the show in terms of how we're growing and the people that are coming along the ride with us and all that stuff. So, muchos thank yous to all of you for all of that. Yeah, seriously, thanks you guys so much. Did you just hear me speak Spanish? Oh yeah, yes, Spanish was pretty awesome. Muchos thank yous. Muchos thank yous, man. <laughs> Muchas Garcias. Well, we got some good stuff coming up. Send us the email, uh, We'll We like engaging with you guys through the week. We put a bunch of fun stuff on our Instagram and on our Twitter account. I don't know what's going on over on Facebook, but I'm assuming Ethan's doing some fun stuff over there, too. I'm just, I'm just posting shit. We've got uh, some live Facebook meetups coming out. We've got an EP of Metallica covers for our patrons. Anything yep. else? What, what else should we say? Should we say? Uh, we things? got some. We got some awesome upcoming episodes in sep- September. We got. We're going to be doing. Was it Saint Anger and Hetfield? We're doing Hetfield, Saint Anger, some kind of monster, and, and an interview with Michael Wagner. And correct. We well, I think we also we, might we, be doing our official first call-in show where we will be letting right. you guys. We'll be letting you guys know what time and what day to call in and you will yeah. be on our show we're ready to start doing that yeah kind of crazy kind of crazy it's literally gonna be the craziest day of my life i've got to go play a show now in denton texas for a bunch of people yeah you better go do that you're on stage soon yeah well i have to open up uh open up my web browser and watch some netflix and go to sleep and work tomorrow i got the day off today well, good luck out there. As usual, safe travels to you, my friend. As usual, thank you to all of you for listening. We very much appreciate uh, having you all on the ride with us. And uh, until next week, peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>